0: Hey guys, Ashton Gustafson here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. I am thrilled and honored and excited today uh, to introduce you guys to an individual who wrote a book a few years ago called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And um, man, how many times on this podcast do we say things like, Every yes leads to 99 no's. Make your life more and more about less and less. Don't be a wandering generality when you can be a meaningful specific. Uh, and this is the work uh, that this man put into his book called Essentialism. Greg McKeown, joining us from California. Uh, I've watched him from afar for some time now. Really have admired his work in the world. Uh, and more than anything, I'm just super excited to get to know him today uh, and for you to be introduced to some of the wisdom that he's put into the world. So with that being said, Greg, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Ashton, it's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Hey, man, so um, where do you begin when you introduce yourself and your work in the world?
1: Um, well, I. Uh, it all began when I was... Uh, looking at a piece of paper in my hands with uh with with some answers to a question uh, what would i do if i could do anything with my life and um and i was struck not by what i'd written down on the list but what i hadn't written down the list uh, i noticed that law school wasn't on the list <laughs> uh, which was a problem because uh, i was at the time at law school uh, and so i was here in the united states at law school in england and Call my uh, decide. Well, I better call my parents. I mean, this is twenty years ago, and so uh, my my mother answers the phone. She listens for a while and says, "Look, I think you better talk to Dad." <laughs> <So> he comes. <laughs> he comes on the phone. I mean, what would you say, right, to your son after all that time, all that money, all that effort? He's halfway around the world and calling. You know, apparently on a whim to quit law school and uh my my father listened and uh and then because all Englishmen quote shakespeare <laughs> uh while eating uh you know crumpets and no, drinking their yeah. tea for yeah. breakfast in the morning <laughs> he pulls a line straight out of hamlet um uh, it says uh to thine own self be true mm. well, well that that was good it was good advice it was uh he added, "He said, uh, he said that's what we've always told you.' And to my recollection, he'd never said it to me before, and <laughs> <laughs> he's never said it since. <laughs> but, uh, but it was still a good time to get it. And, and how that's relevant is that is that really what was on the piece of paper were, uh, you know, a series of goals, a series of ideas. But but out of that pursuit grew some questions, and one of those questions uh, was." Has been particularly interesting to me and the question is is why is it that otherwise successful people and companies don't continue to be successful and um and and, and one of the answers to that quite easy just for a moment if a company or an individual is successful, there is a simple logic that says you're going to carry on being successful. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have all the, if you've had the things necessary to win in the first place, you should keep on winning.
0: Uh,
1: But when you look at the data, when you study the question, you find that that isn't what happens. So that's an interesting thing. It's been, it's really kept me up at night, so to speak. And one of the answers that came to me was hidden in plain sight. And it was while I was working with Silicon Valley companies and I noticed that in the early days, the company would be focused on just a few things. We might call this like a phase of clarity and that clarity led to success. So we've got phase one is clarity, phase two is success and success breeds a massive increase in opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you have all these options. So phase three is options So we have clarity leads to success, leads to options. And that all sounds like the right problem to have, Um, but it does in fact turn out to be a problem if it leads to what Jim Collins has called the undisciplined pursuit of more. And we have different names for that, but let's just call it chaos for a moment, (laughs) that that it leads to chaos. So this is what I observed. I observed that success could become a catalyst for failure,
0: Hmm.
1: that success itself cannot fully be trusted. And so what you have to do is learn how to become successful at success. This is true for companies. It's also true for individuals inside of those companies. And so the antidote to the problem of the undisciplined pursuit of more is the disciplined pursuit of less. And that is what what I went on to write about in the book, Essentialism. That's why the subtitle is the, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. This is the antidote to the problem. That uh, that I noticed at the organizational level, but it's also true at the individual level. That's sort of background as to as to how I came to be pursuing what's sort of an unusual uh, path in life, uh, but one that uh, one that's been very meaningful to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so you you've you've always had this curiosity, I guess, about what is success, how does one become successful, but then your study into it. Um, I think somewhere. And I'm going to paraphrase this: the continued plateau, or the plateau, the progress plateau. I can't remember what it was. Um, but when you talk about this undisciplined pursuit of more versus the disciplined pursuit of less but better, um, that's really the backbone of this book, right? Is you you break down page after page, living your life, running your business, um, really any any avenue of life one way through a lens of a non-essentialist, another way through a lens of the essentialist. Um, hold my hand on understanding really the difference between the two, because I think we're just kind of getting ankle deep into this. But what do you mean when you're talking about the way of the non-essentialist and the way of the essentialist?
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, the, you know, the, these, are, these are not subtly different um, ways of living and leading, uh, the the what a non-essentialist sees, what they do, and what they get is materially different. The what an essentialist sees, does, and gets. So let's start with a non-essentialist, for example. I mean, a non-essentialist is is what we were just describing. the The idea of some someone who has at some time maybe had some clarity, but regardless of that, they are now experiencing the undisciplined pursuit of more. They uh, are, you know, here's a litmus test. Um, They are busy, but not productive. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are stretched too thin at work or at home, at church, in the community. Uh, They feel like their day has been hijacked by other people's agenda. But this is what the experience is of being a non-essentialist. Yep. Um, it, what, what, what? The, how they see the world differently. A non-essentialist is is buying into um, a set of assumptions, a mindset, and and probably they did not deliberately choose this. They did not consciously say, "I am going to buy into this philosophy." Yep. I mean, mean, non-essentialism is that that name. I mean, I I coined that phrase, used that word to describe something I was observing. People don't wake up and say, I'm going to I want to subscribe to non-essentialism. They've they've got there by default. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, they have bought into by default, by these default settings in life, assumptions like, look, I have to do things. There are just things I have to do. That, that, that I have no agency in this, no choice. Um, I believe it's all important. So I have to do stuff. It's all important. And so my job, therefore, is how can I fit it all in? And that is a way of thinking. That's a mindset. Yeah. That what, that that leads to a set of behaviors. That leads to an undisciplined pursuit of more, where you're reacting to what's most pressing. You say yes to people without really thinking about it. You're trying to force execution at the last moment. I mean, that's, that's the behavior that grows out of that mindset, out of those dominant assumptions. And it leads to a life that does not satisfy, where you're taking on too much, your work is suffering, you're feeling out of control, you're unsure about whether the right things are getting done, you're feeling overwhelmed and exhausted. That is the overview of the way that non essentialist think, uh, act, and the results that follow
0: Yeah. And I think you're totally right that it's kind of that gradually then suddenly, forget who said it, um, but that gradually we make decisions that are outside of what we know to be essential, whether it's specific metrics that we have in business, whether it's something with our health, key relationships in our life. Gradually, we make decisions in non-essential ways. Suddenly, we wake up one day and we think everything matters equally. Um, and, and I think one of the biggest ahas I've taken away from the book is when you view, view your life through the lens of essentialism, so few things matter. The true, beautiful, meaningful, sustaining, fulfilling metrics in your life, you wake up each day, you know, and as Zig Ziglar says, you, you become a meaningful specific in lieu of a wandering generality, um, and, you, and you can leave each day going, I see the progress I made. I was connected with the people I've been entrusted. Um, rather than turning on Jimmy Fallon at the end of your day and going, I don't even know how I got here. Um, and I think that's the beautiful side of essentialism is to, to drop some of these ideas that I have to be everything to everybody. Um, my to-do list is infinitely long. Really giving yourself space to carve out what are the meaningful metrics in life, relationships, business? And that is the key at what you were getting at in essentialism.
1: Yes, I think that's right. And 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 at first the the objective is just to name to name non-essentialism as a as a default way of thinking, doing and being. Yeah, yeah. By naming it, we go, oh well. If that's called that, maybe there's something else called something else. You know, you can start (laughs) to say, well, that isn't the the only thing, even if that's what I, in fact, see everybody in my company doing or the majority of people doing. So, you know, that that has become the norm in society and in my team and in my organization and in my family and so on. You go, oh, this is an actual strategy. Uh, What's the alternative strategy? It's the it's the the way of the essentialist to become an essentialist. So what does an essentialist think? They, they are, you know, instead of I have to, it's I, I choose to. So they have a, a, a heightened awareness of their ability to choose. Yep. They're, yep. they're, de- they're, they're de- developing that, that uh, they really do hold on to this core assumption of only a few things really matter. So a non essentialist tends to think that everything's essential, uh, uh, whereas an, uh, as an essentialist tends to think that almost everything is non essential. And so, what grows out of that is this idea that uh, that, that therefore we need to make trade-offs. You know, as, a, as an essentialist, if I can make choices and only a few things really matter, then I need to use my ability to choose to trade off all the non-essential stuff for those things that really matter. And if I so so the actions that that cause that right the the behavior the discipline pursuit of less is is to pause to discern what really matters, Hmm. to say no to everything that we can that's not essential, at least negotiate the non-essentials, to remove obstacles, to make execution as easy as possible. That's the behavior. That's the work of the essentialist. And uh, if you can do that, if you can make that shift, then you're going to end up feeling more in control of your life. You're going to get the right things done and increase your joy in the journey as well so it's a pretty strong value proposition that's that's then the overarching way that an essentialist thinks what they do and the results to follow
0: i want to talk about um one of the key things that you you brought up in there because i think it's a huge part of the book um, is that essentialists are comfortable with saying no and you talked about um an individual in the book and i think you called it she developed her no repertoire i think that's what you said um right let's talk a bit talk about this because i think that um the further i get along in my journey um i i, I wrote in a journal once that like yes will make your life but no will save your life um mm. and and so i would love to hear your thoughts um on what you've learned about the word no and how it may be the most liberating word (laughs) that's available to us.
1: Right. So, um, well, let, let, let's just, let's just start with this idea that uh, actually let me just have a a caveat first. I didn't write a book called noism. The the book I wrote is essentialism and the difference really matters. So if somebody simply starts saying no thoughtlessly, Yep. Then that's not going to work well at all. Yep. Uh, that's surely not going to work any better than saying yes thoughtlessly. Maybe it'll even work work worse than that. But but what what I've learned really is 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 this: there are only three options. You can say yes, you can say no, or you can negotiate. And and what I observe is that most people actually think that there's there's only two options and they're quite extreme versions of instead of the three that I just mentioned it's like there's only two and it's at the at the, the edges of the of the continuum mm-hmm. they think you can either give a really polite and quick yes or you can give a really rude no and so because they think those are the only two options, they're going to do a lot of polite immediate yeses <laughs> because they don't want the social impact, the reputational you know, discounting uh, th- th- that comes if you simply start saying rudely no to people. Yep. So with all of that as context, what it means is that we have to learn a new set of skills. And in and what I would put under the the negotiate category now lots of those are no's. i mean there's there's the polite no uh, there's the uh, there's the negotiated no where you you're asking there's the ask a question before you say yes so that you can ponder together there's there's saying no together with people the counseled no mm. i mean there's so many examples of 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 what we can reach to if we get out of this idea that there's just this extreme dichotomy. And, and it's so necessary because there's so few, there's so little time and so many options. It simply necessitates that you will be, you will say no. You, you you will say no by default or by design. If you say no by default, you'll, you will often say no to essential things. Hmm. If you say no by, by design, you can say no to the non-essential things. That's the idea. Everybody's saying no <laughs> because the math is requires it. If there's 10 times more things coming your way than you can do, then you're going to say no to nine out uh, of 10 things. But if you don't if you do not do that thoughtfully, deliberately, and with skill, then you're going to damage the most important relationships, the most important work, the most vital contribution you could make will all be violated. And I learned this personally when I got an email from my boss at the time who said, Friday would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby. <laughs> now, perhaps they were joking and, and all of that. But fr- Thursday night is when my wife went into labor. We're in the hospital all through the night. Uh, the next day, everybody's actually looking sort of well enough off, uh, as well as well as someone can be expected to uh, to be after they've gone through the valley of the shadow of death the night before. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: But I'm feeling torn, and 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 to my shame, I went to the meeting, and that's on me. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, I mean, it, it's clear. To, to, to you, to anybody to listening to this, that I made a fool's bargain, that I violated something more important for something less important. I didn't feel empowered to to push back or just to simply say no. I mean, that's on yeah. me. I mean, yeah. I don't know what the consequence of that would have been, but it might have been just perfectly sensible and positive. It might have been positive. But there I was worried about it. Well, what would happen if I? I don't want to keep everybody happy and I was feeling enough anxiousness about this? Uh, what I learned was simple, which is that if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that someone else does not have to be somebody who is uh, who is out to get you <laughs> in any way whatsoever. They're probably just busy enough in their own life, or all those different people, that that they, there's no way they can be thinking about all of the consequences for you. So we have to take responsibility for that now that that's what i learned i learned that you really you know well, you, you have got to you've got to develop the skills and the clarity necessary to negotiate uh, out the less important things so that you can be consumed on the things that uh, that really matter
0: hmm. and so this this less is best conversation the the disciplined pursuit of less but better there was a point in the book where you talked about um, the 90% rule. Um, I would love to introduce that to our listeners because I think that that's a, um, that's a great personal exercise that all of us can do daily to start honing in on our essentialism and separating um, the, uh, the illusion from what's real and allow ourselves some better vision and clarity for our lives, relationships, and businesses. Um, talk about that 90% rule and kind of how that changed your life.
1: If, if people listening can just imagine, you know, I don't know, that they're in a big, big conference hall. And imagine a, a line drawn from one end of the room, straight line from one end of the room to the other. At one end of the room, is zero and you can mark every number from zero to a hundred a hundred at the other end this is the importance continuum and they could walk along this continuum Large enough, you could walk along it and all of the activities of your life have been mapped to this continuum right you you, you everything you do all the activities is is now laid out in this conference room some things are completely trivial they'd be like zero to ten on the list total trivia low value add um you know you as you walk along the continuum you you come up to items that uh 50 60 70 percent important Uh, these are good things They're, they're they're Interesting things, they're they're good. And then if you continue down, eventually you'd walk into 90 and above. And these are the essential few. These are the things that really matter. These are the things that will matter the longest. They are the things that will have the highest impact. They're the things that are most satisfying. They're over there. The, the idea is in in the book I I got only sort of in a sense only half of this idea clear. The half that's in the book is that we should apply a 90% rule which says anything in that continuum that's above 90%, those are your yeses. And everything else at least should be considered for elimination. Maybe you don't eliminate it, but you should at least pause and think about it. You know, At least consider negotiating them see if there might be ways to remove them, reduce them, and so on. So that's, that, that's the idea. 90% or above, that's what's essential. Now, I want to go a little further with this because I, I understand it better now. And that is that I would encourage people to think about activities in their own lives right now You could do it right now here to help us out. That you know a zero to 10. Right? Like, are there activities in your life right now? There are in mine still, but are there activities you know a zero to 10?
0: Watching TV. Watching TV.
1: Watching TV. So, I don't know how many hours you watch. You don't have to tell me right now, but you know how long that is, right? You know in a typical day, in a typical week, how much time. So, zero to 10. Like, it is you. And what's interesting, by the way, Is that when I ask groups of people this, people will willingly admit to zero to ten percent activities. Like that, it isn't hard for them to think about it, and it's not even hard for them to admit it. It's right there, sitting in in plain sight. This is clear non-essential. Now let's go to the other extreme. Are there ninety to hundred percent activities that? right now you know are essential but you're not doing them now you might be doing some of it whatever of course you're doing things that are in the 90 to 100 percent. but is there something you go i know it's essential i'm not doing it yeah give Con- me an example
0: consistent planning future planning um okay solitude long
1: yep. long-term long-term thinking there you creating go creating space yeah. to get to think about it so to me it's really delightful in a sort of it's it's a, it's a it's a little painful, right? But it's, it's sort of, to me, liberating to just have that conversation with you right there. Now, we could repeat that many times because there'll be other things in the, the total non-essential category and other things in the essential category that, 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 that exist. But if you just take the example you did, if you say, I am making a decision, I will decide not to watch television at all. Let's just go all the way with it for a moment. And I've, lots of people listening to say, oh, I don't think I could do that. And lots of people say, Well, I don't think I want to do that. And that's fine, of course it is. But sometimes cutting something out by a whole category immediately, it, it like is a hundred percent, is easier than reducing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yep. why I'm going that way. It, 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 sometimes it's easier. I've been off sugar here since uh, since uh, New Year's Eve. I mean, nobody likes a guy who says that, right? Uh, <laughs> my popularity just went down uh, <laughs> because I, I mentioned that. Nobody wants to. No one wants to talk to that guy. But nevertheless, it was easier to go cold turkey than it was to eliminate. It had reduced that amount for me. Same for this. So you say, okay, I am not going to watch any television. I'm cutting it out. You save X number of hours per week, and you take that time and you schedule a really pleasurable, fun, you know, not just you know painful way some create a pleasurable fun experience that you look forward to doing where you can do long-term thinking and maybe, maybe it is getting up in the morning and and going for a walk into into somewhere in nature that you know, and you like, maybe it's, maybe it's listening to certain music while you get your journal out and and, and start to think, I mean, you construct something, you take the time drain that, that you've been wasting in one activity, you take it and you utilize it, not just to do the thing you just mentioned, directly it's not just okay now i'm going to do planning it's to use that time to construct a system that will make execution of long-term planning in this case because that's what you identified as easy and as pleasant and as pleasurable as possible so that you will continue to do it so it's not just now i'm going to through willpower make it happen no through willpower you create a system a routine a, 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 you know a support structures to make this thing. So maybe what you do is you schedule a personal course offsite. You do it with your, uh, you go with your spouse, you, you, you create time, you do it somewhere that's fun, you organize uh, food that's gonna be something to look forward to. It's like you design something that you now are using your time to, to build this system and also then to do it. And th- that's the idea. The idea of shifting from being a non-essentialist to an essentialist is really captured in the example we just described. It's about making deliberate trade-offs between less important things and more important and and essential things. And that, repeating it again and again, uh, even in an environment where everybody seems to be uh, consumed in non-essential activities, uh, we are making a different choice, a different set of trade-offs.
0: Yeah, and the the essentialist, too, you point out over and over in the book um and i don't i I don't know why we as humans do this, but the things that we do forget uh and maybe it's just because we do think everything uh there are things that just come up always as critical and emergencies and things like that. but I wrote down uh solitude play um escape focus planning um are are these the type of activities that you're trying to get us into that ninety percent space
1: yes. First of all, I think everything you just described is in the 90% space. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So they're doubly valuable because they are keys for discerning the other things, but they are themselves essential.
0: Yeah, that's a good Um, word. They're keys for discerning the 90%. If you you don't spend time in in this 10%, then you're just going to blindly walk around in the 90%
1: that's right and um and that's why i think the highest priority of all is protecting our ability to prioritize yeah yeah so so that's why that's why we spend time that's what justifies uh the time spent um you know every morning i mean i know i i i know a um a woman who uh, even when she was, had young children, even when she was working professionally, even when she took every day, literally every day, for like 20 years to read. I mean, in her case, it was scripture. But just if I just say more broadly, uh, you know, reading wisdom literature, no matter what, it was possible. She had to make trade-offs to make that possible. Yep. But that one time decision, one time make the decision, never miss it, has kept her stable through all sorts of, you know, ups and downs that uh, that, 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 that all all parenting produces, uh, all life produces. That's an example. Um, You know, you can do the same, right? You you can say, you know, uh, a couple of other activities – Certainly being in prayer, certainly being in meditation, these things are such high leverage activities when it comes to discernment. Uh, and that's across, that's across you know, all religious faith yep. traditions. Yep. Yep. All of them yep. emphasize fasting, prayer, meditation because of their, the, the tremendous value in the discernment that it gives you. This is what justifies sleep. Uh, and and making sure that we're getting sufficient sleep so that we can discern correctly i mean I think there's a lot of people listening who maybe understand uh, you know well yeah of course you, you shouldn't be well would understand you of course you shouldn't be drunk all the time uh, you know that that that's going to inhibit your ability to discern and think and so on but those same people are allowing themselves to be in the same physiological and psychological state as if they were drunk. Because if you're sleeping four or five hours a night, you're you're getting into that same state. It's the same position. And yet I was talking to a woman just recently who said that, oh, it's a little while ago now, actually, but uh, she said, I said, how are you? Uh, She said, uh, oh, great. I'm so busy. I've slept on average four hours a night for the last two weeks. And she's smiling. I mean, why is she smiling? As if it's a trophy. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Celebrating busyness yeah. as its own value. Yeah. Uh, and and that's that itself illustrates this cultural moment that we're in. We are, in my estimation, in a busyness bubble. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, even as as I'm as I'm hearing you break this down essentialism is is a state of awakening it's it's awareness it's it's being able to see um it's vision right like i I think when when you talk about the clarity um and the liveness that comes with being in this state essentialism allows you to see um and i think that's that's such a huge idea for where we find ourselves today
1: yes, i I think that's right. Somebody once said to me, "You know what you have to do is is shift between compulsive mm-hmm. choices and conscious choices. yeah, yeah. and I like that. yeah, that's it. that language right is is that is that I think a lot of people are, um, are living as non-essentialists uh, because uh, it's just it's a compulsive position. It's just what everyone's doing and there's actual addiction involved now and uh, and this breeds more of the same behavior because you know the the more reactive we are the more reactive we become and and it can it can be harder and harder to stop get still but with all of that i i see a tremendous number of successes of people who are making new trade offs who are shifting who have said no longer the way the non-essentialist that i'm going to become an essentialist who have set that intent who have who have decided to go on this uh, p- sort of personal odyssey uh, and 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 often bringing their teams along with them their families along with them their whole companies along with them yep. now now it's a disciplined pursuit meaning that nobody ever spends i mean i don't know anyone who spends 100% of their time in the 19th percentile and above on the importance continuum but I know a lot of people who have shifted and made trade-offs, and uh, and have kept coming back to this. I mean, one of the one of the really surprising uh, things about about writing essentialism is is not just uh, not just that the book has has been has had resonance with people, not that it's just done better than I expected it would, uh, not that it's all of those are true, and all of those have been pleasant surprises, uh, but the most surprising thing has been how often people come back to me and say, I'm on my third, fourth and more times of reading the book.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I have, um, somebody here, an agent in, uh, in, in Hollywood, um, successful, uh, you know, sort of at the top of his game. And, uh, uh he, uh, he, he said, um, I've I've read essentialism seventeen times. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. literally Yeah, I mean, just listens to it on this way yeah. to work and back. Yeah, totally every day. Now, I I, I don't know exactly what to make of that, uh, <laughs> but but um, but I I what I'm trying to illustrate in those examples is that is that there are people who have who are making this shift.
0: Yep, and that's at, right.
1: in growing numbers. Yeah. And so, and, and that will increase over time. Yeah. I, I I see little doubt about that. That there because there's because the pain of non-essentialism, the nonsense of a non-essentialism becomes more evident the deeper you go on that strategy. Yep. I mean, it, the, 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 it. The, the, the 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 inconvenient
0: mm-hmm.
1: truth is that non-essentialism is a lie.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: yep. What is promised on the packaging is not delivered. That's right. On opening and That's applying. Right. Yeah. So it will collapse. Yeah. Uh, and the only question, just like, say, like with any business, any other bubble, all bubbles burst. The question is, is when do we get off? The lots of people are already getting out of the business bubble. Lots of people in, in tremendous growing numbers. I mean, it has become a movement and, and, uh, and, you know, it's been called different things, to be sure. The mindfulness Revolution, Time magazine had a whole, uh, you know, uh, magazine just devoted to that alone. I mean, there's a huge uh, movement towards this change. You saw perhaps uh, at Google's, um, you know, large conference, I think it was their user conference, but developers conference, excuse me, that that YouTube is now uh, going to add into their app. Uh, is, is Reminders of oh, oh, you've been on the app this long. You know, you might want to take a break. You know, these mm-hmm. kinds of yeah. mental health uh, adjustments. Uh, I, I, Apple's starting to, you know, in, in, in their software upgrade, going to do a similar thing yeah. i mean the yeah. emergence of technologies that are trying to protect us from technology is an evidence of these that's of right. these changes on the larger scale but at an individual level right for the person listening today they you, we have to choose ourselves whether we want to wait for the train to crash before we get off this thing yeah yeah you wait for the crash that's the that's that's a dangerous time yeah My train had to crash to get it.
0: (laughs) My train had to crash. Yes, in 2012, my train had to crash uh, before just adrenal fatigue, um, burnout, overwhelmed, overworked, everything mattered equally. Um, No idea of magic metrics, what actually mattered uh, in life, relationships, business. It It was just life of everything was about more and more, about more and more instead of everything being about more and more about less and less. Um, And so for me, it was a very painful awakening. Um, But I I think you're right to say, you know, um, wading into the waters of essentialism may start waking you up to some of these pain points that you're a little blind to at the moment.
1: There's... um, uh, Adrenal fatigue has a series of symptoms. Um, I think that... I mean, I, I understand that it's sort of people think about it affecting one in 10,000 people. But I, I wonder about that. I mean, maybe that's true
0: mm-hmm.
1: on this specific adrenal uh, fatigue, but I think the mental fatigue and the, and the burnout that people are experiencing, whether it's connected to adrenal fatigue or not, I think these oh, has to be. these things are relevant, right? Um, so symptoms include fatigue, crash of energy, reliance on caffeine, uh, frequent length of infections, lightheadedness, racing of mind at bedtime, Waking up in the middle of the night, um, craving salty foods. That's interesting. Anxiety, uh, brain fog, um, constant stress, depression. I mean, these some of these are, are quite strong, strong symptoms. There's a few that I'm not mentioning, but I think that I think what's happening is that we're we're getting to a tipping point, yep. and. And so this is where you see anxiety, the diagnosis of anxiety outpacing. Now, I think for the first time, diagnosis of depression is an illustration of something bigger that's happening. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. materially shifting the, the mental health of society at large i mean these these are these are big things and but i don't wish to 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 paint only the the negative tipping point i think that there's a positive tipping point taking place as well which is people people going okay that's not going to work that's that is really rubbish you know to feel this way to live this life success is supposed to feel better than this yeah
0: yeah yeah and, you know, it all comes back to, it's that undisciplined pursuit of more. Once you become successful, then you start, you have more chances to say yes to things. Um, and unfortunately, right out of the gate, you tend to start taking everyone up on them. Um, well,
1: and, and I agree with that. And I just add to is the general point that as society itself has become successful, it means that even if an individual doesn't especially think of themselves as, well, yes, I'm successful, I've achieved great things in my life, and I have all these opportunities, right? It, it, you don't have to feel that way for this phenomenon to be taking place because it's happening all around us. Yeah. I mean, the the, the the question is, do you have more options and opportunities than you can pursue? Uh, and, and, of course, the answer is yes because – you have more websites than you can go to, more knowledge sources that you could subscribe to, more channels than you could ever watch. So society around you has developed this massive increase of options. So even if a, an individual feels that they're not they're not really killing it right now in, in terms of success, they're still in the midst of the paradox of success. Right. They're still That's in the right. midst of it because mm-hmm. the society as as a whole has has produced an undisciplined pursuit of more and, and, and an endless, truly, literally infinite. Uh, maybe, maybe infinite isn't quite right, but it is, it is so close to infinite as it's not missed the Point. If you have hundreds of millions of websites to go to, yep. it's so close to infinite. It, we might as well call it infinite.
0: Overwhelming this options every moment. That's what we're talking about. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I ask everybody, um, do you have any like morning or daily rituals that you adhere to, to maintain the posture and state of essentialism? I do.
1: And I, I, you know, I, I always say that I'm, I'm a work in progress with, Mm -hmm. with essentialism myself and constantly working and constantly coming back. I feel like I'm off track lots of times. Um, but I do keep coming back to it. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, there are, there are a series of things that I do that That make a big difference, I mean I, I I do I read scripture every single day. I do make sure that happens i mean, I occasionally miss, but very rarely. Uh, I write a journal every single day. Uh, haven't missed a day now in about seven and a half years. haven't missed many days in the last ten, fifteen years. so that's developed into a into a something, and I find that's my favorite technology.
0: Mm-hmm. And not because
1: I'm a not because I'm a luddite. It's not because I'm anti digital technology. I, I use lots of technology, and I work uh, worked in Silicon Valley, and I've worked with all the, uh, the 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 major companies. But with all of that, I still think the functionality of a of, of a pen and paper uh, journal experience is is really tremendous. Yep. And and yep. The, the very fact that it's lasted so long, right? That it's lasted hundreds of years. Or um, in mean, thousands, depending how you want to define a journal, have uh, uh, but uh, uh, implies that it's going to be around for thousands of years in the future too. So it's technology to worth betting on. Um, so that's something that that is is an everyday thing for me. I mean, it, prayer is an everyday thing for me. I uh, exercise maybe not abs- absolutely every day, but certainly certainly most days now. Uh, and that 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 was a habit I had to get back to. Um, but uh, and I had to develop a systems to, to really support that social systems and, and what do I enjoy doing for exercise and, and, and getting my family involved with them so we could do them together and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, this, this is part of the exercise. So I play tennis. Um, um, all right. Yeah, okay. you know, half 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 of the <laughs> half of the days a week and uh, enjoy that. Uh, and so go you know, swimming. You know, this is this is all part of the process. I take naps, not every day, but. Certainly, every other day, I would say, uh, these are part of the, the the rituals and routines for me uh, that uh, that I've come to come to rely on.
0: Right on. Um, yeah. What um, what's currently keeping you curious in business, life, for relationships at the moment?
1: Um. Well, one thing that's interesting to me since finishing Essentialism has been grappling with this question, which is what's the best way to become an essentialist? Hmm. Um, you know, the book, the book at one level is, isn't, is an attempt at answering that question, but it was also naming the problem, naming the solution, creating, uh, you know, the, the best insight I had up to that point. Um, but it's a slightly different question to say, once you've named it, once you've identified this phenomenon, once you sort of, in a sense, framed the universe, the essentialist universe. Now, within that, what... Not even within it. You just got to say, say, what's the best way to do this, and and I've had I've learned a lot in the in the in the in the, the years since then. And one thought that is powerful to me is the importance of of breaking through a a frame that almost all of us has, but certainly for me. I didn't realize I had, <laughs> and I don't think other people do either. And it's this it's called it's birth till death thinking. Hmm. Yeah. So birth till death thinking is like, it's so obvious <laughs> that we, that we think like that, yeah.
0: Yeah. that
1: we don't think of giving it a name or, or describing that we might, that might not be the right way to think. But of course that's how we think. We think about our lives. If we're thinking long-term we mean, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, what are you going to do when you grow up? We, all of these questions are, are, grow out of the same basic assumption, which is your the, the the story that counts is the story that began when you were born and ends when you died. That is the story that matters, but it's not. <laughs> uh, it's it's I think it's it creates slaves of us all, mm-hmm. uh, and so and so i um i I disagree and completely agree with Maslow about this so Maslows hierarchy of needs, which most people are familiar with um has at the top of his pyramid self actualization as the 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 highest human need. the others are simply preparing you for that that is to fulfill what is um you know, to be successful. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: to set goals that you want to achieve and to achieve them. Uh and and there I totally disagree with that, but so how can I totally agree with him at the same time? <laughs> uh because he changed it before he died. Uh but it didn't get changed in most books. So he realized towards the end of his life that self transcendence yeah. was a higher need than yeah. self actualization. Yeah. And um and so so we have got to break through this birth of their thinking so that we can start to discover the story that really matters, the intergenerational story of our lives. Um, let me test you on something here. And, I'm ready. I hope, I, I, hope I, I hope you don't get else, it wrong. Here we go. No, there's no right or wrong answer. It's, <laughs> it's just, a, it's just you know, a yes or no answer, yeah. which is, can you name uh, first and last names of each of your great-grandparents right now without looking it up? No. Right. Most people can't. Yeah. You know, I I would put the number at something around 1% of people. In my sort of non-scientific asking of now thousands of people, uh, but just asking that question, their own, put their hand up. I don't even have them do it. So it's just people who claim that they can is about a percent which to me is really striking Mm -hmm. because what it means is that people who like that's, this is part of the story that really counts. This is the big story. These people made us, shaped us, defined us, but almost certainly the language you speak, you and I speak is because of them. The country that we live in because of them, the, the, the family we're from is obviously directly because of them. The DNA that we have is also, you know, purely factually from them. But what about also the cultural DNA? What about the, the, the strengths? What about the ways of thinking, the ways of processing the world, the fears, the, uh, the, all of this? How is that also affected by these people of, of whom we know almost nothing at all? And, and so I just use that as an illustration uh, to, to how blind we are to the intergenerational story and how, and how consumed we are And as I said before, slaves to the birth till death story that we are so consumed in. I mean, we are completely blind to this huge, massive equation of who we are, how we are, why we are, the way we are. And you take that forward to the future, take it 100 years into the future. So that's the past. We're going to 100 years in the past. Let's go 100 years in the future. And we say, what will matter then? Because 100 years in the future is important for these two reasons. One, because... We won't be alive anymore. That's important to get our heads out of the what will they say on our deathbeds about us kind of thinking. No, that's this is we gotta go way past that. So so that we don't think about it in terms of being about us. The second reason it matters so much is that a hundred years from now, they will have forgotten us just like we've forgotten the people hundred <laughs> years before us. Yeah. Yeah. So this 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 should should, I hope take a shot at all of the legacy thinking
0: mm-hmm.
1: yep. that i think is itself stretches but does not break the paradigm of birth all their thinking because it's still saying how will they remember me yeah yep. and i think that's that just is still so blind they won't remember us yep yep they won't remember me they won't remember you they'll they'll, they'll be thinking about themselves too but now here's the kicker is impact outlasts memory. Yep. Impact outlasts memory. And so just like we can't remember these people, but they still impacted us, it would be the same for the people that go after us. So this is a a large, more than thought experiment, although it is a thought experiment, a an odyssey we need to go on in order to discover what is really essential. Hmm. That this is this is Part of the answer that has come to me over these years in answer to the question, what's the best way to become an essentialist? We have to break the bounds of this limited perspective. And, and, and of course, therefore, we also have to break the bounds of this very, even much more limited perspective of, of managing our life tweet to tweet, email to email, text to text, um, that, uh, that, 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 that is even, of course, far narrower. Uh, way of managing our lives. So
0: That's good. That's real good. Last question. What advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Uh, somebody, somebody asked me this recently and it was collecting answers from people. So I wrote this. I wrote, I would say um, it all works out and better than you think. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I feel that, I feel that for, for I feel that for us all. Mm-hmm yeah let's go it, it, it's going to work out and better than we think yeah and so there's a lot of negativism there's a lot of negativism in the world yeah i could say there's a lot of negativism in the world now and maybe that is true but i think there's probably been quite a lot of negativism in the world in probably every era or in many eras but it still goes on life goes on societies move on you know, there's, there's, there, I believe our greatest, best contributions lie ahead of us, as a, as societies and also individuals. I, I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that's a, that's important to hold on to.
0: Beautiful. Well, man, I'm super grateful for you and your work, time and energy coming on and joining with us. Uh, I know our listeners, uh, their capacities were expanded today, uh, and I invite all of them go online, get you a copy of Essentialism. Um, I promise you, Greg's work. Uh, it's one of these books that you will highlight, uh, circle stuff. You'll come back. You'll revisit it. Heck, you may read it 17 times like someone he knows. <laughs> um, but it's a, uh, it's a beautiful work, and um, it's, I, know, I know that it's created uh, meaningful waves uh, all across the world. For those of our listeners that want to follow you and what you're doing, where would you direct us and tell them to go to?
1: Uh, look, I actually think what you said is the right thing. I you think you, you start with the book. I mean, I know this, there's, other, there's other ways to reach out to me, whatever. But I actually, just read the book, and come back to it, and get people involved in it, because you, you don't want to be an essentialist on your own. And, I, and the book is still the best, uh, the, the, the best platform for, for being able to, to do that. So go, go find somebody, go find a, a friend, family member, and read it together, and, and help each other to, to break out of non-essentialism shift. Into the way of being an essentialist. Beautiful. Awesome.
0: Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, and if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly. Uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car Uh, you allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs you allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted Uh, i do not take that lightly at all and i am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table at this conversation there's always a seat left there's always room for more uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love.